Welcome to Happy Path Programming. I'm Bruce Eckle. I'm James Ward. All right. Well, welcome. We are back and it is Friday the 13th. <gasps> oh, <Ooh>. scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and today we have with us Tanya Moore. Hi, Tanya. Welcome. Hi, guys. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, we don't record the video, so so we can see you, but no one okay. else can. We just record right. the audio. And I will stop yeah, so messing with my hair. Friday the Thirteenth costumes. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh -huh. You guys um, do look extra scary today. Oh, thank yeah, you. Appreciate that. Um, so, how do you two know so, each other? Tony and I had a brief overlap when we worked at TypeSafe together but we didn't need light bend nay, nay light bend yes I, I saw jonas last week in stockholm who's now the ceo and, uh -huh. and was the cto co-founder of light bend and i was telling him how every time i talk about type safe light bend i have to say light bend formerly known as type safe and he's like do you think at this point you can just stop saying the formerly known as type safe thing and i'm like i don't know if i'm quite ready for that yet so so now it's, it's still to me is is light it's bend still fresh for you yeah, still fresh. Companies so. changing their names have has always seemed like I don't know. It's yeah. problematic as challenges. Yes. Yeah. It was problematic at the time too. We it was. we had a lot of pushback. Yeah. You were there through there was the, a lot of the feedback. Name change, huh? Yes, yeah. I was. It's just it's more of an MBA thing than it is a for anybody <laughs> else thing. You know, and that's a that's a whole nother hot button for me. But yeah. anyway, um, so you guys knew each other there a little bit, a little bit, but never actually met face to face until two weeks ago at DevNexus. Okay. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. Right. And you are now at StarTree, which tell us about StarTree. And I think the name means something, but I, I don't know what it, what it means. Like there's some, some cool, cool relation to like something real with StarTree, right? Like, um, I, you know what, this is the first I'm hearing of it if there is. So I am I pretty it's... new to Star Tree, so you might teach me something. <laughs> Maybe tell us what Star Tree does, and then I'll see if it triggers the the thing and that I was thinking of. Okay, um, are you guys familiar with Apache Pino at all? I heard of it, but don't know much about it. Okay, it's well, Apache Pino. Yes, that would be the best way to describe <laughs> it. Um, but it's the second like way. Line. Right, is uh, it's a real-time analytics uh, database um, that helps you make uh, large amounts of data that you have pulled from separate sources uh, queryable very, very fast. Hmm. And then nice. StarTree has a fully managed version of Apache Pino. Oh, cool. Okay, so the so it's got this data like like a. Um... I don't know. At some point we were doing like data warehousing and a lot of my data knowledge is probably out of date, but we would take data from a lot of different places and dump them into a warehouse or a data lake or whatever. And that would give us then the ability to like query across different data sources because we just would aggregate all that data together into one place. And, and maybe Apache Pino is doing something similar. I don't know. Maybe I think, didn't it say it used Kafka or was good at connecting to Kafka? Good at connecting to Kafka. Kafka. Yeah. Actually, our VP of developer relations just came over from Confluent. Oh, oh. cool. So well, there's a lot of crossover that's, there. That's Tim, right? Who you and That I, is Tim Berglund. Yep, he needs Berglund, no introduction. Yeah. Yes, he is just amazing friend of, of mine. And I don't know if you've ever met Tim in person, but he lives down in Denver. The Denver okay, area, I know the so. name. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. he nice. is an absolute delight. If you ever get a chance, yes. do do meet him. Yeah, excellent. Um, 
So, okay, so Star Tree. I think there was some relation to like some algorithm for doing like like queries that is called Star Tree or something like that was mm. was the motivation for the company name. Oh, like, like some theoretical foundation. Yeah. I don't oh, remember what, yeah, what I could what see it was, that. but all I know cool. is somebody back at Star Tree is going to be mad I don't know this. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh oh, we're getting you Uh-oh. in trouble. Oh no, that's not what well, this podcast we're, is for. We're four minutes in and I'm already in trouble, guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's fine. So you're <laughs> like at um Lightbend and IBM and Star Tree, you've always been you specialized in com- community relations or uh correct. Um, and you you use the term um, community Man- manager. Manager. I did or, use that term. Yes. Okay. And how do you? That's manage... what they printed on my business cards. So oh, well, that's what I, I kind of use. Do you think that? it's ironic that the word manager starts with man? Like it seems paid, like reinforcing patriarchy. Like the patriarchy. Well, the patriarchy, the patriarchy is very good at reinforcing itself. So yes, it probably, is. yeah, it's yeah. true. We need a general. Uh, I do have. Manager. A community manager in my title, but as you were about to reference, I do not think a community can be managed so much as it can be helped along. Yeah, that's what I keep. I had this inspiration the other day when you look at management, which is so much about telling and controlling and things like that. Maybe if we reversed, if we turned it around, maybe we need a new title, but if instead of manage, it would just be help. Because mm-hmm. if, if, if that was the orientation, because manager says, I got to control you. Mm. Whereas if, if it's like, how can I help you? Yeah. That's right. a totally different thing. So it, basically that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to help, help. the community yeah, along. I think, and, of, I think of management as like a static thing. Like when you're mm-hmm. holding it, when you're grasping it in your two hands, right? Mm-hmm. That's management. And I think that, I think that what we do is much more fluid and, and much more of a, a helpful and useful thing instead of a, a grasping thing. And how do you do that? <laughs> oh, well, it's easy, Bruce. It's just like this. Okay. Uh, no, yes. Is it you something... have your philosophy of how you help yeah. a community? Can or... we teach this in business school? <laughs> Can you cookie cutter it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If there was a land and expand, we would have written it out by now, I'm sure. Uh, I think that the the key to, to helping the community, it sounds really simple, but it does not get taught in in MBA classes is is to listen. Uh, It's the most important component. Uh, I don't feel like, like this podcast is a little odd for me because I don't feel like I do a lot of talking usually. I feel like I do a lot of listening, Uh, trying to uh, understand people's pain points, trying to understand what people are trying to express. Uh, I feel like everybody has a story to tell. Everybody wants to tell their story. So part of my job is just to listen to that story and see how I can connect it with other stories. So the original definition of marketing is basically what you <laughs> just said. It's like finding out what the customer wants, not telling the customer to buy your product. Huh. So this, huh. this sounds like a really important, but also long-term sort of thing. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, it's different from marketing. I feel like marketing is, marketing is trying to feed you something, right? Marketing is trying to draw you along. Whereas I feel like become. community... Yes, where I feel mm-hmm. community, we're trying to let them lead us. We're trying to help mm-hmm. shape where they're going, but we want them to tell us where to go. Huh. Right. <clears throat> yeah, and who who they want to be as a community and what, what they value and, yeah. Absolutely. How do you, let's just get right into it. 
do you have any ideas about how to keep a community from becoming toxic or guide a community into towards a friendliness approach rather than how some communities have spiraled into toxicity? Uh, that's a really interesting conversation, but can we first, can we first say what we mean by toxicity? Can we, can we dive into that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, I guess for me, it's just, I don't know, any sort of being mean, um, if I so I had an experience years ago with an unnamed community where I had a technical question and I found what seemed like a reasonable group and basically when I asked my question they effectively shouted at me and um, I didn't take it personally because it was just like, oh, this is who you guys are, held up my hands and walked back slowly out of the room and right. didn't go back looking for answers anymore because I go, oh, and I have a friend who had the same experience with the same community. And mm -hmm. it's just, it was so off-putting. I'm not even sure what they were trying to achieve by being so hostile. Well, they were trying to feel smart. I, they were trying to feel smart. I yeah. guess, uh, but, but, and, and so my experience with a community like that versus the Python community, which is kind of legendarily friendly and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I think Python has become such a successful language is because the leader of the language has always had that, um, uh, goal of being friendly to everybody. Isn't there even a right. saying, be, be kind, because the, the poster it, might yeah. be 13 or whatever. Yeah, Guido said that. What, it, what it, was the actual quote? I think it was something to that effect. Be kind because Guido is kind. Or, no, no, or, we, be kind because whoever you're answering the question to or posting or whatever is might be 13 years old. Oh, okay. yeah, that was, that was, okay. that was his see. object. Okay. But, the, but Guido said that and it said that is my tone, recollection. A tone for the community. Well, or... more than that. I mean, that was just one example of what he would do. It's just in general, he surrounded himself with people who were kind and caring and that, and then they surrounded themselves with people, you know, it just kind of, spread out yeah. that way um, yeah so maybe a question for tanya is i i would guess that there were at some point situations where somebody in that community even in that community was did something unkind and maybe that's part of the actual to answer your question i'd like to hear tanya's perspective on this like like what how do you how do you deal with that and and I don't know. Is that a good place to start or do we need to take a step back to you? <laughs> no, I think that's an okay place to start. Um, and I understand what you're talking about with the Python community. I come from the Java community. Uh, I was recruited into tech by Oracle uh, mm. right after it was taken over by Sun. And uh, vice versa. <laughs> okay. And Java, Java is such a, an inclusive community has such an inclusive community. And I think that a lot of that goes back to, you know, Gosling and Sun and, and just the way that they embraced the community at the beginning. Uh, then it kind of took a, a turn when Oracle took it over, right? So it's it's a, become a different process. It's become a different community. Um, the A number, th A number one thing obviously has got to be respect. Um, you have to have respect for your, your fellow people, for your fellow question askers. 
Um, and then I think another thing that's really important is to uh, make sure you know who your allies are and engage those. Uh, it's not a one-person job to teach somebody respect. Uh, it's not a one-person job to teach a community how to respect each other. Uh, you have to have a lot of people who are on the same page. You have to have a lot of people who want to be respectful, um, who encourage that and desire that within their community. Um, if you have uh, a bunch of people who are determined to be assholes, uh, then that's what the community is going to be, no matter what. Mm. Um, how do you how do you take that and discourage it and try and pivot it? Uh, that's an interesting question. Like, how do you try and, and get a hold of that before it gets out of hand and poisons the whole community? That's a very interesting question. Um, are you able to dial in to a few certain people and talk to them directly? Uh, is it coming from uh, some of the major thought leaders? Uh, you know, that's a whole different problem. Is it coming from companies directly? This is a whole different problem. So there are a lot of, a lot of components to that question. So I guess it so, depends on where you want to go in. Yeah, because yeah. my feeling about how the Python community is different is that it's it's if you're going to be an unpleasant person, there's just not much traction you can get. Mm -hmm. And and of right. course that had to be built from the start. But it's a little different than oh you know actually confronting people. It's just that it's just not a very fruitful place for somebody mm -hmm. to go in and try and be uh, unpleasant. Somehow the environment. Do you guys think that that has something to, to do with, with the vehicle that is used as well? Like Twitter is, is, can be completely toxic. Sure. And I find that a lot of communities who build around Twitter are more likely to be that way than communities mm. that build around other vehicles or other vendors. Mm. Do you think that's part of it? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it, that probably is one element of creating an environment that is either conducive to assholes or not conducive to assholes is like how the community connects and communicates is probably mm -hmm. part of that. I mean, back in the IRC days, IRC was was like Twitter, so much horrible toxicity on, on IRC mm -hmm. and um and then, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is something about the Python community that, in the way that ways that the community is formed, or the ways that they communicate, that have that have created a, an environment that is not as conducive to assholes as other ones. I don't know. I don't know the Python community very well and how they how it formed and how they. Communicate. Yeah, I don't either. I'm not very familiar with Python. Well, I read. I, I mean, I wrote along because I've been using it since sometime in the mid '90s, and so I kind of wrote along and watched it. But I wasn't as I wasn't like paying attention to. Oh, how is this happening? How is this happening? I think it was always just an overarching intent. It was foundational. I mean, the the language itself was created to make programming easier for everybody mm. and so mm -hmm. you're starting with that as an objective and that i think influenced things but guido himself the people who were drawn to him of my experience of because i spent some time with the core python developers and they just always seem to be nice and helpful and pleasant yeah. and 
Yeah, just that's amazing. When you start from a foundation of just wanting to be helpful, like building something just to be helpful, that's obviously has to influence your community and how they grow. Well, and I think when you form a company, you need to have not very many, but a few rocks, solid foundational principles. And if one of Mm -hmm. them is to be nice and helpful or whatever, and if people don't buy into that, then that mm-hmm. needs to be, oh no, this is, this is what we're about. You know, we're about, you know, two or three things mm. you have a mission, you know, and, and that selects who becomes part of your team and true mm-hmm. with the company as well. I mean, uh, the culture, I, I visited a company, I won't name them, but um, I had been writing about company culture at the time and I showed up and somebody said, oh, we decided, you know, here this morning, I, I came up with these things that are going to be our company culture. And I was like, oh, how do I, how do I explain <laughs> that it's not, your company culture already happened. Right, <laughs> and right. it isn't a thing that and you're you can... not going to change it by writing down what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried that? Like, For sure. Have you ever been part of an organization that tried to write down the culture that they wanted and then and then tried to well, make that their which culture? Which, if and... you're when you're starting the company, if you do that, that's one thing. Right. You and you know you have these core foundational principles, and the culture flows from that. But if you're if you've already been hiring and you know bringing people in, every time you hire somebody, you affect your company culture. Mm. You're, you're buying into who they are. Yeah. And yeah, it's very difficult, I think, to bring somebody in and say, oh, I know this is your personality, but this is how we work. Yeah. And have them, you know, people have had lots of experience about how that doesn't seem to work. Yeah. It would yeah. require. It is I mean, very interesting when you, when you work in a startup about how every hire does influence your community, how every hire is important to your culture. It's mm-hmm. not such a big thing when you work at like an IBM, uh, but when you work at a light bend or at a star tree, uh, every person makes a difference in numerous ways. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question earlier, James, have I ever tried to solve a problem by by building a new, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to act? Uh, I have seen that happen and it never works. It's huh. It's about what you're building, not about what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So if you have a code of conduct, it's like, I don't know. I mean, if a company exists and you go, oh, now we're going to have a code of conduct. It's like, wow, <laughs> I wonder how well that works versus here's our code of conduct. Can you live with this? Mm. Is this okay right. with you or, or, you know, are you happy with this? Or maybe there's another place for you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So much of it is about... Yeah, maybe one of the functions of a code of conduct is to set the expectations for people who may be joining the community for what they can expect. And if someone is like, yeah, I'm not cool with, you know, I'd rather be an asshole than abide by that code of conduct, then they can go find a a different community to be part of. It's a filter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a filter. Yeah. 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 And, Um, you know, water does find its level. So... I, I don't think that that's an unusual proposition to to say maybe this is not the place for you. Maybe there's another place for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's way more important than oh, we got to fill this position. This mm. person has these qualifications, so everything else is fine. It's like 
Mm -hmm. I know that's somebody's putting pressure on you. Yeah. Oh, we got to move forward. We got to become this way. Yeah. But um, yeah. did did you see that there were some tweets last week or something about somebody saying how they made sure that there was always a woman on a hiring panel for for like a developer developer positions for like a um, in a developer company because they wanted to see how how the the person being interviewed reacted spe spe yeah specifically interacted with with the woman on the interview panel like how they yeah how just how that interaction went because that was that to them was something that was important in the culture that they were building mm. was um mm -hmm. you know making sure that that everyone was going to be treated well and equally and so if mm -hmm. you only had a panel of men then you would not get good information about how this person was maybe going to treat other people other people and i thought that the was mantle yeah yeah the mantle. the mantle, the mantle yeah. <laughs> but if i'm a good interviewer i i can fake that maybe yeah. uh I mean, it might reveal something. Yes, yeah, it might reveal but something. It, not but the, I agree really, with Bruce, though. Like you, you know how you're supposed to act on an interview. Yeah, yeah. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to to be that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, that's the whole problem. We actually. Go ahead. We actually just extended. It's a little bit of a pivot, but we actually just extended our CFP. We have a conference. Star Tree is putting on a conference this year called the Real Time Analytics Summit, uh, and we actually just extended our CFP because we don't have enough diverse speakers yet. Hmm. Call for so paper. that's something yeah. that's like super yeah so that's something that's super okay. important in our culture is to make sure that we don't just have our white man panels across yeah. the board and our white man speakers so yeah. it's part of the culture you know make sure that everybody is represented fully yeah. at the python conference there is a definite um and again i i don't remember where this came from but um it was like we want ideally half women speakers um, mm -hmm. from all kinds of, and that's super, I mean, when you go to the Python conference, it's like, wow, there's so many women at this conference. It's still not half, but compared to mm -hmm. all the other conferences, which have, oh, two or 3%, it's, yeah. it's very friendly. And, and they had to set it. That's goal. how I can tell it. Yeah. That's how I can tell it's a good conference is if there's a line for me to get into the bathroom or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good indicator of, yeah. of doing well doing diversity well yeah and i mm -hmm. mean that would be uh something that might be valuable for you to attend the python conference just to see how they do things yeah, yeah. that would be interesting yeah no, it's uh it's very worthwhile i think so back to the toxicity yeah. thing i think that some communities will have something happened, somebody not treating someone well. And there's an element of community that I want to get your perspective on, which is how, how do you, how should a community or community manager, or you, how should a community respond to those, the, those, when those things happen, when there's someone that has been hurt or um, wronged or I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, like when, yeah, when, toxic, absolutely. when an asshole rears its head, like, like, what do you do? Well, I, if you're a technical person, you shrug and say shit happens <laughs> and that's too complicated. That's touchy feely stuff. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. That's absolutely true. I can tell you a story. And again, we never name names uh, right. of a time when I was at a conference 
and someone was actually harassing me. Um, wow. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. My phone went off. <laughs> I thought I had it on mute. Uh, so I, uh, was actually harassed at a conference and I went to by someone that was on a, uh, uh, a team that was close to mine, uh, someone within the oh, company. Geez. So I went to my supervisor, I went to my boss, my direct and was like, Hey, this happened. And he gave me a hug and that was how he solved it, which was the most tone oh. deaf thing that I think has ever happened to me in the entire world. Goodness. Uh, oh. so I'm yes. I'm sorry. You're having feelings. <laughs> Let me give you a hug and that will make the feelings go away. <laughs> right. This will make this all better. Uh-huh. Um, fantastic. Uh, so when something like that happens, the important first thing, obviously, is to listen. Um, you have to listen. You have to hear what's being what's happening. You have to hear what's been said. Uh, you have to hear about how that person feels about it um, and what they would like to have done about it. Um, I think that it's important when you address the person that has done the wrong, uh, you have to set some very clear and healthy boundaries immediately. Um, you have to make sure that they understand, uh, what has happened, why it is not acceptable, uh, and how, what we can do to make it better going forward. Is this something that you need to be, and this isn't something that you discuss with that person, but you have to have an idea. Is this a person that needs to be removed from the community? How toxic is this? Do they make an honest mistake? Because honest mistakes do happen. And we are a changing culture. And not everybody is up on, on everything currently. Uh, so there are steps that you can take, right? You have to listen. You have to be an ally. Uh, it's especially important for our white men to be allies, right? Like, you, there's a lot of power in being a white man. And uh, if someone who has less power comes to you and says that there's a problem, it is absolutely your responsibility to be an ally. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you need to figure out like what kind of, what kind of issue it was, uh, what the actual boundary was crossed and what you want to do about it. Uh, so that's a, that's a revolving question. Yeah. Um, well, I like, have not definitely like... seen, there's not like, like you can't summarize the law into like three bullet points and say, this is exactly what you do. In well, this. but in a code of conduct, no. ideally you are saying, here's what will happen if some, you know, if you, something happens to you, you go to these people or one of these people and here's what happens. So it's very yeah, clear some, that some kind of action takes place. Yeah. And it isn't just like going to HR and they go, Oh, how's this going to look for the company? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a real, yeah, there has to be some procedural things written mm-hmm. down. I remember right. when and that's where the healthy boundaries comes in. Like you want to make sure those are already spelled out in advance, mm-hmm. right? You're not trying to surprise anybody. We're not trying to catch anybody out. We're mm-hmm. trying to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Yeah. Right. I remember when the Winter Tech Forum was defining the code of conduct and and because you organized the conference, it was it seemed logical that if there's a code of conduct issue then come then, to me. Then come to Bruce. And then and Diane then... goes, What if you're the problem? And I go, Well <laughs> of course. I mean it's like yeah, I mean there's all those little things that y- you have to Yeah, I mean it's like a legal document basically. You have to 
you know, work through all the eventualities and yeah. figure out. But when you were talking about, but you can't work through, you can't oh, no, work you through can't. all the eventualities. You can't, but you have to have some sort of foundational process that says, here's basically how we're going to deal with this. Yeah. We're going to have to figure some stuff out on the fly because, you know, everything's probably, this is something that maybe wasn't nailed down in the document, but, um, right. but we're going to do something. Yeah. And, and sure. you, you can be, you can expect these things to be taken. And so you won't just be ignored or hugged. Yeah. And that's a very, yeah. very yeah. important part. <laughs> that's yeah. a very important part of it is knowing that action is going to be taken and knowing that, that there will be some kind of resolution. Mm -hmm. Yes. So when you, you talked about, you have to listen, I'm assuming that you're talking about active listening where you, you, you are actually saying, oh, so here's what I heard you say. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Okay. Yes, because that's not always. A, I mean, to feel heard, that's usually a very necessary part of it, and it's not always said. So, yeah, yeah. It's much easier to listen and then be thinking about the response that I'm going to have instead. You know, mm. that's my default is, is mm -hmm. to not not listen with the intent to understand, but listen with the intent of respond to respond responding oh I, yeah. I wasn't listening i was thinking about what i was going to say what, what, say that again yeah you're very sarcastic yeah i like I it am. <laughs> i am uh, i'm bringing it out in him apparently possibly uh, maybe yeah it's hard to know whether it's you or just James. friday the 13th friday the th let's bring Ooh, friday the 13th. The 13th. yeah there you go um yeah i w and one of the other things i wanted to what I was thinking about with this is that what seems to happen is that communities that don't deal well with toxicity, it pushes out the, the, like the nice people and brings in, attracts more. It's absolutely self-reinforcing. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. Once it starts going down that spiral or that, yeah, whatever, it just keeps reinforcing itself. And pretty soon, well, actually, this is a good question. Do you think once a community gets to a certain point, is it possible to to bring it back? I mean, it seems like not it gets without harder. a huge revamp. Yeah, uh, and I mean from the ground up, and or from the top down, depending on which way you need to go. But yeah, a lot of times you can you can watch a community circle a drain. I've seen it happen for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and. And and basically what you're saying, it sounds like to me, is that, oh, well, you just have to create a new community. <laughs> you just have basically. to start over. Yeah. Yeah. Which And that's a that's a whole different problem right there is how do you how do you take out the toxicity, cut it out, move it to the side, bring in fresh uh ideas and fresh thoughts. Uh it's a it's a huge uphill battle. I don't know how you you would have to catch it pretty quickly, I think, for that to be a successful project. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and you'd all, you'd have to be oriented that way in the first place. You would be correcting mm -hmm. something rather than saying, oh no, this is all gone down the drain. And, and right. I, I mean, to me, and maybe I give up too easy, but I would say, oh, I think you just need to start a new community over here. And the people who are willing or, you know, to put up with the new rules or the new guidelines or objectives will come and the others will just say, no, we're going to stay here and fight with each other. 
We actually had something similar happen, not quite to that extent, but here in Chicago, we had uh, a Chicago Java users group mm-hmm. that uh, ended up splintering into two groups because they had such different ideas of how the group should, how that community should be run, huh. uh, what they should be focused on, and uh, what their goal should be. That they ended up splitting, um, huh. and it's worked maybe for that everybody. Was a, maybe that was a decent solution. Like, I think it was the not... best solution possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it feels evolutionary to me because, you know, you go, all right, well, we have this, you know, this little gene mutation that takes us in this direction and this one that takes us. And if you keep doing that, you get something that a lot of people might go, oh, I want to go there. But only through those experiments can you find that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You also lose something in that, in that you're like I found on the political spectrum, I don't really hear much from the other side of the political spectrum because I've kind of like isolated myself into a community that is mostly speaking what I want to hear. Yes. So I am missing like, an, like other perspective a lot of times. Well, perspective, I'm not sure if the perspective yeah. is as important as the hearing what their pain points are. I'm not able, I'm not in a place often where I can listen to what the other political side has to say. And that takes a lot of compassion because if Mm -hmm. you hear things like, oh, you know, we're doing these things because we don't feel included or we feel like we're losing, you know, our place in the world. Yeah. And if you can hear that, then what they do, even though, you can't make logical sense of it, but you, you can understand the, um, I don't know, the, the place of the fear and, and the that needs it, yeah. That, yeah. It, that it comes from. And you can, you can have compassion with, at, with that without following any of the, you know, say, oh, that's where these other things come from. Yeah. You're just, uh, just, you are afraid of I don't know, being lost and losing your place in the world and everything. And that's, I mean, our most fundamental uh, need is to be in a tribe because if we're not in a tribe, we're probably going to die. Going to get eaten by a lion. Going to be eaten, going to starve, whatever it is. And so the being excluded or lost is terrifying at a very Mm -hmm. fundamental level. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you brought up compassion. Um, it does seem like a cornerstone of healthy communities is compassion. Bill Venner's um, just uh, announced he was leaving, being the community manager for Scala, essentially. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, wow. I mean, this just happened I a couple either. weeks ago. Or, I mean, okay. a couple of days ago. Um, but yeah. in his parting letter to the Scala yeah. community, a lot of it was about how the Scala community needs to have more compassion for everyone. And I thought that was a really... A great framing for, um, wow, for community. I'm expecting a phone call from Bill. Yeah, (laughs) because Bill and I we did a three week bike tour of the South Island of New Zealand together. So we're pretty good friends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was in 2000, so it was a long time ago. But um, but uh, that's That's no, that's something. Because I remember he called me once and asked, "How does the Python community do it?" Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be it. interesting to see who takes that over. Yeah, it is because, but that's not a paid position, right? I don't think so. No, I'm sure yeah. it wasn't. I so, it's like, I need to. He volunteered 
for many years. Yes. You know? um, many years. But yeah. so I, I, so I think compassion, like maybe has to be one of those foundational things that is part of a healthy community. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know, Tanya, what I think do you it think? It absolutely has to be. Yeah, it absolutely has to be the, uh, the ability to get past your own uh, ego and your own agenda to listen to what somebody else has to say is a, is a huge part of it for sure. That's asking a lot though. <laughs> it I is mean, asking a lot. We're not trained to do that. You know, we're trained to say you're wrong and bad. Right. That's right. That's and I think that, I think that you see that reflected in some communities. I think some communities that their standpoint is we're smarter, we're better. We, we, we do it faster or whatever, you know? So instead of saying like, we can all figure this out together, they're saying you have to jump on our bandwagon. You have to be mm -hmm. part of our crowd. You have to do what we want to do. Uh, there's a lack of compassion there. So you can see that reflected very strongly. I would say that might be the foundational deal of whether a community becomes toxic or not. Yeah, for sure. It probably is just compassion. Yeah. And, but then there's tools, I think, to help us be yeah. compassionate. Yes. And Bruce and I, Bruce much more than I, but we've done a bit of uh, work in nonviolent communication. Mm. And nonviolent communication to me, in some ways, seems like a tool to, to bring compassion to others. I would say that could be a really good description of it. That's essentially what you're doing. And, and yeah, be, I mean, cause one of the most foundational things you do is simply reflect back to a person when they're saying, here's what's going on with me. My, you know, this thing happened and I have feelings about it and I have needs. You go, Oh, so this thing happened to you and you, and you feel heard. And so many times, like I had this experience, uh, Oh, long ago when I guess it was early ish in my speaking career, when I was giving somebody had told me this, I was giving a presentation, somebody got up with a question, a question, and, and it turned out they just wanted to be heard. And I go, Oh, I know what to do in this case, simply repeat the question back to them. And it's like the, the storm just went flat. You know, that's all they wanted. They wanted to hear to know that they had been heard. And so many times when you study nonviolent communication, so many things is, oh, this husband and wife have been fighting for 20 years. And uh, Marshall Rosenberg gets up and he goes, all right, you say what your problem is. You say this back to them. And it, it could be really hard to get the usually husband to say back to the <laughs> wife what he, she said. But once he, he did that, she was going, that's all I've ever wanted, you know, just to feel heard. And they were struggling with this for 20 years. Hmm. Or I didn't know we were going to talk about my divorce while we were here. That's interesting. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, yeah, well, okay, that's, and that's interesting because you've been a community manager for a, a number of years. And so you know yeah. what this is. But yeah, that the, so the thing about nonviolent communication, the, the tough part of it is the regret that you have for not knowing it most all of your life. Yeah. <laughs> but even yeah. when it, you know, it's like, oh, this would have made my life so different because we could have discovered whether, you know, we were ever mm -hmm. going to move forward from this simply by 
having this communication and discovering, oh, our needs don't meet and there's no strategy that can, can make that happen. And yeah. so, yeah. And, and then you go, oh my gosh, how many years of my life did I struggle with that? And now I see I could have had, you know, a few conversations and, uh, and it's funny because once you learn those skills, you see so many adults who don't have them. And Most it's it's them. shocking to me. It, I mean, yeah, how many do not have that that skill set to available to them? Mm-hmm. Is yep. it time that in technical communities we start teaching, giving people tools so that they can be more compassionate? Well, at the Python conference, one of the things that they do is they have open spaces, and so I held an open space on nonviolent communication. You know, five or six people showed up, but as we know with open spaces, whoever shows up is the right person. And yeah. I got, you know, everybody seemed, we, we had a good conversation. Yeah. So sometimes I'll do that, just, you know, yeah. an introduction to it. And, I, and I think that's another role that a community manager takes on. I think that we are a tool for, mm-hmm. for that kind of compassion. We are a tool to teach that kind of empathy and to help guide people to act similarly instead of. Yeah, I was curious about what other tools there might be besides nonviolent communication. And I think what you're pointing out, Tanya, is saying that that having people that emulate or become an example of compassion is mm-hmm. a really important tool for for building compassion within a community. And maybe that's part of what the Python community did so well was that compassion was emulated and, and exampled. Well, Guido is a compassionate person and also very sensitive himself. And so he knew what it felt like to, you know, deal with people who are being aggressive. And so he didn't want that in his community. I mean, I'm making some assumptions here, but I do know him. So um, that's a great foundation to build from. And I wish more communities had that kind of foundation. But we're asking this really smart technical person to also have these other abilities and, uh, <laughs> and to care about stuff like this. Yeah. Right. And, and, and a lot of the smart technical that. people are worried about smart technical things and not so much about the other side of the coin. Yeah. And so how do we, I mean, I guess the way that we bring it in is that one of the nice things about nonviolent communication is that it has developed a real structure for teaching and, mm-hmm. you know, some, some clear thing. Cause the problem is when you're, when you've lost your center and you're, you know, in distress, it's really hard to go, okay, what are the steps now? I, I actually right. developed a system that is, based on the fingers of your hand because okay. I go, I've always, I've always got my hand and I can always, you know, start with my pointing finger and say, here's a thing that happened in the world. And we go, and, and if people disagree on what happened in the world, well, you're already in trouble. You know, it's like, right. Uh, you let the dog get out. <laughs> well, okay. Now we've got a problem because right. I've, I've pointed my finger gun at another person, which is, no, you don't point a gun at another person. So you always have to be able to point it at just an objective person, thing in the, the world. The, yes. Because as soon as you bring in another person, then they're going to feel attacked. Mm-hmm. Even if you're just going, well, you did let the dog get out. And it's like, no, just don't even say that. The dog escaped. That's it. Right. Yeah. That's the only thing. The dog escape. Whose yeah. fault it is is not going to get us forward. 
So anyway, that kind of thing. And there is a structure in NVC which allows you to um, kind of try and maintain your center while something mm -hmm. distressing is happening. So, yeah, not being pulled into crisis is a huge part of it, I think. Yes. Um, it's a big, yes. big component. It is, because then you're identifying with something in it, and it's your own stuff that you're bringing to the table. And it's like, okay, we're trying to keep away from that until we get to my own feelings and my own needs, um, if, we can, if we can achieve that. And it's, you know, it's about me, even though I'm having feelings and I want to put them on you. I want to go, God, you're the person that's making me have these feelings. And it's like, no, it's my my issues that are making me have these feelings. And so you're just trying to keep those things separate. You know, what happened in the world, what I felt about it, what my needs are, and mm -hmm. maybe I have a request about it and a request, it can't be a demand. It can't be, James, if you don't do this, you're going to pay the price. That's a demand. <laughs> yeah. But the, but those right. are usually implied. Huh. You know, it's just like... Right. So I need you to do this thing for me. <laughs> and if I don't. <laughs> yes. It's, well, it's, it's been it, fascinating. You but... can imagine the consequences. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be. Ooh. Ooh. It's like with my son. I have a 10-year-old and I give him, ever since he's been a baby, I've given him the one, two, three when he does something outlandish, right? Yeah. What, I've sorry, never had to get the to one, three. Two, three? One, two, three is when you, oh, you just, just give them a count of oh, three okay. and they have up till three to get it together. Whatever's going right. wrong, they have until three to figure it out and, and come down off that cloud. Uh, I've never had to reach three. And he has no idea what would happen if I said three. <laughs> Just the imagined consequences or something. So yes. Something really bad's going to happen. Well, that is a demand. That's a perfect <laughs> example of a demand. Yeah. And uh, we don't, uh, I mean, I don't respond well to demands at all. <laughs> no. Kids are. I actually majored in psychology in, in college, and I think that Psychology 101 has held me strongly throughout all these years, which is I statements, not you statements, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's the most yes. basic concept is it's not about, it's not you, you, you. It's about what mm -hmm. I feel, what I need, what I'm asking for. Yes, yep. exactly. Yep. Exactly. Uh, it's been fun to watch my kids evolve and learn, and I, the Violent communication must just somehow be like, like built in, into boys built, <laughs> and girls. So, oh, oh, yes, yeah, so this, this story is about Josie. Who's oh, really? Six. So, just yesterday, uh, she, she, Jonah, the four year old, had kind of trapped her outside. <laughs> and so, she had a ball and she threw the ball like at the door and then it like bounced and rolled away. And she comes inside and she's like, she's like, Jonah, you made me lose my ball. And, it, you know, so it's, it gives us a lot of opportunities to try to do what you're talking about. It's like, okay, what actually happened? You threw the ball and it rolled away. And yeah, you were trapped outside by Jonah, but you could draw, if you work at it, you can draw this sequence of um, yeah. responsibility yeah. and make it Jonah's fault. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, just, it's so fascinating. Choices were made. Humans. What is that? Choices were made. Choices, choices, were, choices, were, made. choices were made. Yeah, but it's like our train, our whole culture is so focused on. Well, naturally, it's somebody else's fault, uh -huh. and it's really oh, yeah. hard. As as hard as you try to not mirror that, I mean, everything else they're getting. Yeah. 
and yeah. and well, and all of our movies, you know, so many re- movies are revenge fantasies. Yeah, you know, it's yes. like, oh, mm-hmm. they yeah. got what's coming to them because they were bad. Yeah, so it's like, where did Josie learn this like blame thing? And it's, I think, just the water that we live in is like she's learned yeah. it from school and from shows and from you know this just everywhere, right? but not it's, from her parents. Thing. Oh yeah, we never blame. Never. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I'm glad to know that. <laughs> I've never felt blamed by you. Uh, come spend a day in my my household. Uh-huh. Two little kids. <laughs> yeah, That's... I wonder how much of it is nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder <laughs> how much is from evolution and how much mm-hmm. is is cultural. I wonder if you could find. I think we have a fairly na- natural indication or inclination to pass the buck as humans. I think we have a fairly natural inclination sometimes to try and get out of whatever water we have mistakenly put ourselves in. I think that that comes out in children quite a lot. We learn to get past it as adults, but I think that as I see that in my son all the time as well, he knows that he messed up and he desperately wants to find out a way that it's not his fault. Mm -hmm. So he works very hard at it. Right. So there are, yeah, I think it has to do with something to do with consequences and, Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, it is, ideally, people would say, oh, I did this thing and it didn't work out. And maybe some people got hurt because of it. But all of those things, even saying that makes me a little uncomfortable. It's like, ooh, I don't want to be responsible for other Mm. people getting hurt because of some mistake that I made. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. doesn't feel fun at all. That's a lot of responsibility. It is, yeah. but but at the same time, if you are able to do that, it's actually very liberating. But it is. But you. But that's a bigger picture view yeah. of the world, and it's hard to get there. And on well, back to your view of like tribal, tri- the tribal need, the the need to be part of a tribe. If you d- have done something wrong that is, you know, that has hurt your tribe in some way, there maybe is a very deep fear that you're going to be kicked out of your tribe for what you've done or, you know, the, mm-hmm. like, like Tony mm-hmm. said, the concept. And a very real fear. Oh yeah. Being, being a, what do they call it? Banished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boy, that's a death sentence basically. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So maybe that does drive a mm-hmm. lot of the desire to. But when you have there. the experience of, oh, by doing this, we can actually move past. I mean, a I I'm not carrying the baggage of that with me. I've I've you know had a complete experience with that, and we're also. I mean, I've I've helped create a better community. Yeah. By giving an example, and it's the same with vulnerability. I keep having this experience where, you know, if you're in a breakout group or something, and people are like, "Oh, I, I'm not really ready to go." And if I go, if I step up and I go, okay, here's what's going on with me and do it in a vulnerable way, then everybody seems to want to, suddenly they want to talk too, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I've shown that it's okay to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And you realize, wow, that's a very powerful thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of kinds of vulnerability though, right? Like it's, it's one thing to be vulnerable to, to say what you're asking for and, and to put yourself out there like that, but to ask for forgiveness, to be vulnerable and asking for forgiveness and a wrong that you've done is a huge roadblock for a lot of people. That's a different kind of vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't like that idea. That's, no. That sounds <laughs> well, because, because they might say no. Right. Yeah. I don't, right? I don't like. And now you have done an irreparable harm and you have to take responsibility for that. Yeah. Well, and what happens to me if, if I say, yeah, I've done this. I'm, I'm sorry. Can I, yeah, boy, it's even hard for me to say, can I be forgiven for that? Yeah. Oh, cause, yeah. cause it's like, they could say, what, no. they could say no. Yeah. 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 And we all take you a minute know, on that one. That's a big thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Communities are hard. Communities are very hard. There's a reason why we have this job. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause, cause you, you're willing to do it. <laughs> And, yeah, and so, not everybody, I, I say this fully, not everybody can do this job. Uh, really? Not everybody can have this degree of, of, I feel like I'm tooting my own horn a little bit. Not everybody can have that degree of sympathy or empathy or understanding. Um, not everybody can be that interested in people's pain points. Well, it has to be uh, important. A lot of, it does. Yeah. It does. What, what is it about that that you, that draws you to it? Or what is, what is it about? Like, why are you drawn uh, to be a community manager? That job was. You good. know what? No yeah. one's. No one's ever asked me that before, James. That's funny. Huh. I have to actually think about it. What draws me to being a community manager? Uh, it's going. The first thing is just the relationships. I think that has a lot to do with it. I enjoy relationship building. Uh, I enjoy. Uh, keeping relationships going. Uh, so that's a large part of it is just the interaction kind of fuels my soul. Uh, I could not be a person who sat down and, and codes all day. Like when I first got recruited into tech, I, I did my hello world and I thought, oh, it'd be great if I learned some more of the, no, I just, I'm not that person. I can't do that. I need the interaction. I need the personal touch. Uh, being able to give that to other people feeds my soul. Um, being helpful feeds my soul. Uh, so I think that that's the biggest part of it for me. Uh, I also enjoy hanging around with smart people. So tech is, tech is great. Uh, being able to speak, uh, daily with people who are incredibly intelligent and also very passionate about what they do, uh, is amazing to me. Uh, I could, don't think I could do community management for most other career fields. Yeah. Um, I think that the kind of people that we attract in tech is is a separate a separate entity from from most other paths. Yeah. Uh, and the people who work in tech are amazing to me. The people who have these kind of thought processes and ideas uh, are fascinating to me. And getting to work with these people are is inspiring. So in NVC, I would say you have a need for connection, which we all do, um, a need for uh, contribution, and a need for stimulation. Mm -hmm. I would say that'd be accurate. Mm, yeah. Well, and, and we started with community being uh, the way that you view your role in community is to help community. And so, yeah, that fits with that, that need for contribution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. huh. Yeah, That's I definitely cool. don't see it as a management role. I don't feel like I'm managing anybody. Um, I definitely feel like it's it's just helping people with their pain points, helping people feel heard, uh, especially at a startup, helping a community develop into what we want to see and what we want to emulate. Uh, I think those are those are that's all I do. It's it's not that hard to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Now, the rest um, of it's just spreadsheets. Honestly, I, I, <laughs> I say this all the time. I say this all the time. What I do for my job is listening and the rest is just A-B testing. That's all it is. Oh, how do, what's the A-B testing part? That's the marketing side of it. You okay. Know, just what, what resonates, what we're, what messaging are we giving that actually resonates and what doesn't. Um, oh, so like, like part of your job is to, is to like ask the community, like, like, how do you feel about this feature? Like, like somehow getting product feedback or, or product or what, feedback being one angle to, or, and what features mm-hmm. do you need? What, what features how do, do you need? What yeah. problems do you need solved that we haven't solved yet? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Which, that it's a huge conduit, right? We need, we need that piece mm-hmm. of the puzzle to get from the, the user to the developer. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's true marketing, finding out what the customer actually needs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we've we've focused a lot on the the human community side of things, and then you know av- avoiding toxicity and some of that. But then there is the whole other side of community, which is why does the community exist? It's because there is technology that they're interested in and want to see mm-hmm. grow, and is something they've invested their well and career solves into their and solves their problems. Yeah. And so there's a whole other side of community that. So <laughs> how do you? Do you do you feel like because it's it's sort of like okay we have this company we're going to hire this person to handle the touchy feely stuff, but mm-hmm. it, to me it seems important that that percolates back into the hierarchy. <laughs> you said it. I know. <laughs> you <That>, did. <laughs> that it is that it isn't just oh no. The touchy feely stuff is only handled in this box here. That it needs to be let's silo of... compassion over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it needs to be part. So, is that? I guess. Do you feel like you um, are able to influence the rest of the the, the hierarchical structure, yeah. the organizational structure in that way? Because it seems essential to me. It can't just be me. And that's 100% the truth. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed when I interviewed with Star Tree is I had an interview with um, our CEO, uh, Kishore uh, Gopala Krishna. And the first thing he asked me was, what does community mean to you? And I gave him a very long, detailed answer. And he was like, that's great. That's what it means to me as well. Um, he was like, we cannot build this without community. It's super important to what we're trying to do here. So having it come from the top down was so important to me because I'm not here to sell compassion. If I am, it's an, on an outward way, right? It's, it's to the community. It shouldn't be to my own structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that should already be built into the recipe, in my opinion. And if it's not, then we've got a different situation on our hands. Um, I, when I walked onto IBM, which I originally said that after I worked for Oracle, I would never work for another large company like that again. Um, not because Oracle was terrible, just because I did not fit into that structure as well as I do into a startup structure. Uh, but Jonas Jacoby, who was a VP at IBM Aww. at the time, came to me. Jo- I love Jonas. He's, he's, he's so just great. the best. I haven't seen him in years, it, but yeah, he's awesome. He's amazing. And he's, again, brilliant and and compassionate and interested in what he does. Yeah. Uh, but he had come to me and said that we need to reinsert IBM into a Java conversation. We need to rebuild our community. 
Uh, and because he was interested in it and because that was his goal, that became my goal. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know I think- if I would be nearly as effective if I had to sell it up the ladder, honestly. Yeah. yeah, community can't be something that just happens over there. Community is something that we all participate in. And maybe that's Absolutely. a fun thing for you about startups is that that is a lot easier, I think, in startups for it to be true. Like like at, at Lightbend, formerly known as TypeSafe, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the whole company was part of the, the community, you know, like, the, yeah. like it, so it was much easier for community not to be the thing over there, but for everyone to be part of, of one yeah. community. Mm. That's a fun thing. And that's the same at Star Tree. Like we have a developer relations team, a small but mighty one, which is hiring if anybody is listening. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I highly encourage and so does the other people. So do the other people on my team, uh, all of our engineers, all of our developers, like, please be what what would you like to do? Would you like to be involved in Slack? Would you like to write blog posts? Would you like to go to conferences? Would you like to speak? Would you like to like this is a whole company effort? Like, what can we do to encourage you to engage as well? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, that that was wonderful. I don't mm-hmm. know. I I really appreciate your listening and your insights and yeah, and building healthy, wonderful communities. Um, yeah, I I, the I think this is great, you guys. I haven't. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I don't no, see a lot of technical people who are super into community or or. I don't know a lot of technical people who take an interest in how it's built. So I think this was great that you guys wanted to do a community segment. I think it's interesting and I think that people should be more involved in it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're, I think very uh, privileged to be able to be part of such a wonderful community with the, the Java developer community is, it's been mm-hmm. an amazing community for me for, for many years and so many wonderful people, so many great relationships in that community. And, um, yeah, it's fun to be part of that community with you. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, we need to move the world to the point where community or compassion or niceness or whatever is a core principle of a company. Hmm. And that makes a difference whether you choose to join that company or not. Because I think ultimately the great resignation, at least to me, I look at it and go, Instead of just offering more money, have you thought of creating an environment that doesn't suck, that's actually yeah. inspiring, that I would ever want to be part of? Had, well, yeah. I know that's hard. And if we can just offer people more money, then the problem is solved. There's, oh, yeah. Anyway. I, or pizza parties. The pizza parties are big. That'll fix it. Football. Yeah. Foosball and pizza parties. That's the solution, obviously. And you I belonged to a message board community years ago that had just one rule, and the rule was don't be a jerk. And yeah. I think that that's I think that's something that all companies should take forward and actually spell out if they can. Like it's very simple but very effective. That, but that's like that's like the 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 neg- That's just bringing it up to this baseline that ought to be. We shouldn't have to say, don't be a jerk. We should say, we should be able to say, make everything awesome. You know, it's like, I I don't want to work at a company where people are jerks, but I don't also want to work at a company where the baseline is just don't be a jerk. Then it's just, it's just neutral. I want to, if, if I were to ever want to work at a company, it would have to be like, this is the greatest thing in the world. 
I want to be, I don't care what I'm paid. I want to be part of this community. That's you have such high expectations. I do. I do. Seriously, who's had that job before? Tell me. I don't know. I mean, this is why I've been independent for decades. <laughs> yeah. It's like, because every time I stick my toe in that water, it's like, oh, you have to put up with this. You have to put up with that. You have to put up with, yeah. Unfortunately, well, there's Tanya. always people in every job. Yeah, gosh. True people but i've managed to just be able to hang out with the people i want to hang out with so just make that into a company yeah why is this such a problem yeah well and our conferences are great there so yeah. we should uh have tanya up here for the next one yeah for sure if she would like to come but yes of course <laughs> i would yeah. love to that would be fantastic Hopefully August. I still haven't heard back from the okay. venue. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. August 15th, okay. I hope. Oh, well, yeah. that may not work because our conference at Star Tree is the 16th and 17th. Where are, oh, you, guys, are you having it in Colorado or? Yeah, here in Crested Butte because it's great okay. here. So yeah. people love coming up. We'll let you well, know. Keep me in the mm -hmm. loop. You never know what could, work, what could happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Tanya. Really yep. appreciate your your honesty and and. Uh, yeah, all your insights and everything. <laughs> and there goes an AirPod. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks.